Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. At Ohio State University on Monday at 9.21 a.m., a gas alarm forced an evacuation of a campus building. Firefighters investigated the issue. Then 30 minutes later, a man drove over the curb in front of the building, plowing his vehicle into the crowd of students. He then exited the car and hacked at or stabbed several others with what has been described as either a butcher knife or a machete. According to witness Nicole Kreinbrink, this car just swerved and ran into a whole group of people. All these people were running and screaming and yelling. Student Angshuman Kapil said, It just hit everybody who was in front. After that, everybody was shouting, Run! 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 Student Martin Schneider said, I thought it was an accident initially until I saw the guy come out with a knife. Student Amira Khan said, I took a step to the left and then he swerved into a group of people who were standing on the sidewalk. I didn't realize what was going on. I I just wanted to get away from that. And my friend that I was with said he had a knife and that he was charging at people that were around the car with his knife. Student Jacob Bowers said, I saw a guy with a big-ass knife just chasing people around. When I saw that, I grabbed all my stuff and started running. Luckily, there were so many people he couldn't focus on one target. I guess that's what you call luck these days. Of the students who were attacked, 11 have been injured. All are expected to make an eventual recovery. Naturally, Ohio State University is a gun-free zone, which means, of course, that it is decidedly not a run-free zone. Ohio State University police officer Alan Hiroyuko was on site during two, because of this reported gas alarm, and he engaged with the suspect, shooting him dead when he refused to comply with orders. According to student Wyatt Crocher, my roommate and I heard about three or four gunshots from across the street, and soon after we heard a bunch of police and ambulances pull up across the street. We can't see the building where the shooting happened because of a dorm blocking our view. It truly sounded like gunshots, and really soon after we heard a bunch of sirens, we can see the police cars from our dorm. Despite the suspect having already been subdued, Ohio State University immediately issued an active shooter alert, I would assume, on the uh, possibility that there was more than one. College employee Rachel Lemastra said, There were several moments of chaos. We barricaded ourselves like we're supposed to, since it was right outside our door, and just hunkered down. And, and you should see the pictures of people just piling desks and chairs up against these doors. I guess if you're in a, uh, a gun-free zone, you can protect yourself with stacks of furniture. Columbus Police Chief Kim Jacobs said, with the amount of people that were here on campus, it was very chaotic, and I'm very proud of the students and the faculty and the staff of OSU to do exactly what they needed to do, and that was to get someplace safe. Campus Police Chief Craig Stone said, to go over the curb and strike pedestrians and to get out and start striking them with a knife, that was on purpose. Our officer was on the scene in less than a minute, and he ended the situation in less than a minute. He engaged the suspect, and he eliminated the threat. 
The suspect is DOA. Student Mike O'Connell also said, I just had a class over here an hour ago. This is insane. I've never seen anything like it. Student Lisa Goldstein said, it's a little overwhelming and scary. It's not something you think would happen on our campus. And actually, in last night's Free Domain Radio call-in show, we had a young lady call in from the university to talk about this. We'll put a link to that below. The suspect was quickly identified as Somali refugee Abdul Razak Ali Artin, who fled his home country in 2007, originally moving to Pakistan before coming to America in 2014. First, he lived at a temporary shelter in Dallas, Texas, before moving to Ohio. While Artan's true age is virtually unknowable due to the lack of documentation in Somalia, he is reported to be either 18 or 20 years old. Now, he's balding, he's got a mustache and a goatee. He appears to be somebody who could be much older, but I don't know if they can tell that in an autopsy. But let's say he's 18 or 20 years old, which means that he gained legal permanent resident status in the United States as a minor, which of course involved far less scrutiny, far less vetting. According to the Daily Mail, as a minor, he would have been eligible for special immigrant juvenile status if he could persuade a court he was under 18 and abused, neglected, or abandoned by his parents. The status, one of the faster routes to a green card, and allows for extra benefits, such as having the card application fee waived. Um, So, of course, this is a lot of tax money. This is a lot of uh, burden on existing U.S. uh, taxpayers. The Somali refugee community in Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, is the second largest in the United States, with over 50,000 residents behind only Minneapolis, Minnesota. There are probably around 100,000 Somalis in Minneapolis. By the way, um, the Somali voters in Minneapolis is why you have Obamacare in the United States. They voted for Al Franken, who cast the deciding vote to pass the legislation, so... I can't imagine how anyone who's interested in free markets is against immigration at the moment. Abdul Razak Ali Artin was profiled in the Ohio State newspaper The Lantern, which was published on August 25th, 2016. He said, um, I just transferred from Columbus State. We had prayer rooms, like actual rooms, where we could go pray because we Muslims have to pray five times a day. There's Fajr, which is early in the morning at dawn, then Zur during the daytime, then Asr in the evening, like right about now, and then Maghrib, which is like right at sunset, and then Isha at night. I wanted to pray Asr. I mean, I'm new here. This is my first day. This place is huge, and I don't even know where to pray. I wanted to pray in the open, but I was scared with everything going on in the media. I'm a Muslim. It's not what the media portrays me to be. If people look at me, a Muslim praying, I don't know what they're going to think, what's going to happen. But I don't blame them. It's the media. They put that picture in their head, so they're just going to have it, and it, it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. I was kind of scared right now, but I just did it. I relied on God. I went over to the corner and just prayed. What has been the public reaction to this uh, attack? Senator Tim Kaine said, Deeply saddened by the senseless act of gun violence at Ohio State this morning, praying for the injured and the entire Buckeye community. Uh, he got a lot of flack, of course, because, I mean, it was not a gun attack. He said, updated reports say attacker used a vehicle and knife, horrifying and senseless, relieved the scene, is secure and praying for victims' recovery. 
Now, you'll see a lot of this word, senseless, about this. And um, that's got a particular narrative element to it, which we'll get into in a few minutes. Lieutenant Governor of California, Gavin Newsom, said, My thoughts are with Ohio State this AM. We cannot let an average of one school shooting a week be the normal in America. Too many lives are at stake. George Takai said, Oh my, tired of the shootings and the complicity of the NRA? Join us to help fight. MTV colonist Ann T. Donahue said, It sure would be presidential for Trump to use Twitter to condemn gun violence right about now, which is likely why it isn't happening. NRA, you guys happy yet? Mm, Nothing like standing on the bleeding bodies of students to push your political agenda in a moment of crisis. Yep, Vox is right. They always double down. Time Out New York theater critic Adam Feldman said, What's happened at Ohio State is terrible, but mass stabber leaves eight people with non-life-threatening injuries is why gun control matters. Yeah, gun control, the kind of gun control that has a policeman not miss the maniac target he's aiming at. (sighs) Ohio State President Dr. Michael Drake said, We all know when things like this happen that there's a tendency, sometimes, for people to put people together and create other kinds of theories. Oh, sorry. (laughs) He's an Ohio State president and professional fog machine. Sorry, he went on to say, We don't know anything that would link this to any community. We certainly don't have any evidence that would say that's the case. What we want to do is really unify together and support each other, do our best to support those who were injured in their recovery, and then allow the investigation to take place. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Call me crazy. I'm not sure he was wearing a MAGA hat while making this statement. Dr. Michael Drake, on if the attack was terrorism-related. We certainly don't have any evidence that, that that would say that's the case. What we want to do is really unify together and support each other, do our best to support those who were injured in their recovery, and then allow the investigation to take place. Uh, he's got the... Rubio 2.0 repetition stuck machine, apparently, in there. The Rubio repeat button. Jefferson Township Representative Joy Speedy said, The university appears to be secure now. The students appear to be safe. What we don't know is what was the motive. See, you gotta have it. No motive, just senseless, crazy, random. Columbus Police Chief Kimberly Jacobs on if the attack was terrorism-related. We have to consider that that's a possibility. California rap Adam Schiff said, It bears all of the hallmarks of a terror attack carried out by someone who may have been self-radicalized. Here in the United States, our most immediate threat still comes from lone attackers that are not only capable of unleashing great harm, but are also extremely difficult and in some cases virtually impossible to identify or interdict. Columbus, Ohio Mayor Andy Ginther said, I want to send a clear message to the university and to the entire community that the city of Columbus will devote whatever resources are necessary. We will work closely with President Drake and his team to make sure that everyone feels safe in this neighborhood and throughout our great city. <sighs> I know, it's the, it's the great platitude vacu- vacuum whenever a disaster occurs. You've got to pull the platitudes out, like people throwing up Hallmark cards. Columbus City Council President Zach Klein said... Columbus City Council stands united with the Ohio State University. We are continually thinking about and praying 
for all those involved and affected by this senseless act of violence. City Council stands ready to do its part to support the university, all law enforcement agencies involved, and the entire OSU community. Representative Tim Ryan said, My heart breaks for everyone in Columbus today. My thoughts and prayers are with the victims and first responders of this horrifying and senseless act of violence at the Ohio State University. Senator Sherrod Brown said, Today's assault at the Ohio State University shook our entire community. My office is here as a resource for the community as we cope with today's event. Sorry, Senator, didn't you get the senseless memo? Try that again. So is anything going to change? No? Okay, so uh, let's, let's hug, seal up the bleeding, and uh, continue unchanged. Ohio Governor John Kasich. My thoughts are with the victims of the attack right now. I am grateful for the professional, coordinated response from first responders whose efforts helped this effectively contain this incident before further harm could be done. Think about what this tragedy could have meant. A man with a butcher knife. And who knows what else? See, just a man. A man. No no other identifying characteristics in any way, shape, or form. If you put out a bolo on the guy, be like... A man, nothing else. (sighs) He went on to say, The campus is calm. People are getting their confidence back. And Ohio State will be stronger having come through this. No, no. No, John, they won't. No, people will be... The whole point of terrorism is not to... Not to make people feel stronger, but to weaken and make them nervous and paranoid and jumpy and reactionary and all that. See, that, that's, not, that's not what people do this for. They don't do it to make people stronger. I would not want this guy as a workout coach. Don't worry, you're going to get stronger after I slash you. Want to get ripped? <laughs> Sorry, he went on to say, we will have learned a lot, and I can promise you, from the president of our university, from the people who run security here, they will go, they will even up their game beyond what is really just an unbelievable, amazing, and outstanding and heroic performance on the part of our first responders. See, everybody has to talk about first responders because that evokes memories of 9-11 and all of that. Kasich at a recent town hall event, talking about a different shooting, said, In our country, we don't want to create divisions where we say, Okay, well, you're religion, you're a Muslim, so therefore we're going to keep an eye on you. We're not going to rush to try to figure things out. We will find out what happened. We may never totally find out why this person did what they did, why they snapped. We right now need to have patience. Enough said. So, authorities are also currently investigating a Facebook post believed to be from suspect Abdul Razak Ali Artan prior to Monday's terrorist attack. Abdul Razak Ali Artan said, In the name of Allah, the most merciful and the most gracious, my brothers and sisters, I am sick and tired of seeing my fellow Muslim brothers and sisters being killed and tortured everywhere. Seeing my fellow Muslims being tortured, raped and killed in Burma led to a boiling point. I can't take it anymore. America, stop interfering with other countries, especially the Muslim Ummah. That means a Muslim community. We are not weak. We are weak. Remember that. It's just what he said. If you want us Muslims to stop carrying lone wolf attacks, then make peace with Dawlah in Al-Sham, um, Islamic State. Make a pact or a treaty with them where you promise to leave them alone, you and your fellow apostate allies. By Allah, we will not let you sleep unless you give peace to the Muslims. You will not celebrate or enjoy any holiday. Stop the killing of Muslims in Burma. 
By the way, every single Muslim who disapproves of my actions is a sleeper cell waiting for a signal. I am warning you, oh, America. And a message to the Muslims. Don't listen to celebrity scholars who sold their uh, deen, sort of sold out their religion. I am talking about the likes of Yasir Uafi, Omar Suleiman, Nauman Mufti, and the list goes on. Beware of Al-Maghreb Institute. Listen to our hero, Imam Anwar al-Awraki. Let me ask, I mean to ask, this question. If the Muhammad, peace and blessings upon him and his Sanaba were here today, wouldn't the Western media call him terrorists? To conclude, by Allah, I am willing to use a billion infidels in retribution. A post from two hours earlier said, forgive and forget, love. So, what's he talking about? So the government of Myanmar, also known as Burma, has been conducting counterinsurgency operations on the Muslim Rohingya minority population since October 2015, after there were coordinated attacks on border guards, reportedly by a, quote, militant Rohingya group. Some have referred to the situation as an ethnic cleansing of the Muslim Rohingya by Myanmar's Buddhist majority, which views them as illegal migrants from Bangladesh. Burma soldiers have also been accused of serious human rights abuses, including torture, rape, and executions, which the government has flatly denied. Now, because the U.S. must have its finger in every single conceivable hotbed and wasp's nest on the planet, the State Department has actually demanded that the um, Rohingya be given uh, immediate citizenship in uh, Myanmar or Burma, and uh, they have been um, they have lowered sanctions against. Burma recently, although some are still in place. Uh, Burma, of course, is the usual hellhole. Um, in 2002, it had the highest instance of child soldiers in the world. So, yeah, the U.S.'s funding is controlling, uh, is, um, I don't know, I don't know if any arms sales are ending up there, but the U.S. is the biggest arms dealer in the world, and then, of course, goes around complaining that the world is violent. Funny how that works. So, Amnesty International South Asia director Champa Patel said, The Rohingya are being squeezed by the callous actions of both the Burma and Bangladesh authorities. Fleeing collective punishment in Burma, they are being pushed back by the Bangladeshi authorities. Trapped between these cruel fates, their desperate need for food, water, and medical care is not being addressed. Medical care in Burma is ranked second worst in the world. Southern Bangladesh UN refugee agency head John McKissick said, Difficult as it is for the Bangladesh government to absorb large numbers, it seems to me that there is no other choice because the only other choice is death and suffering. Now, Burma is an ethnically diverse nation with 135 distinct ethnic groups officially recognized by the Burmese government. And I I can only imagine how much they're enjoying their multiculturalism, diversity and all-round general cultural Enrichment, Because remember, diversity is a strength, and diversity is wonderful for the economy, which is why the GDP per person in Burma is $5,500. Yes, that's right, per year. And that's just the GDP. That's not even the uh, income. So Artan, the stabber, was likely referring to Yasser Qadi, who is the Dean of Academic Affairs of the Al Maghrib Institute in Houston. Texas, and has been described as, quote, one of the most influential conservative clerics in American Islam. Qadi's speeches on why terrorism is antithetical to Islamic values have led to the Islamic State to call for Qadi's assassination. So, of course, the American government is uh, assisting the Burmese government, who is um, 
reportedly uh, you know, acting against uh, these Muslims. So now it is unknown if Artem was referring to the former vice president of Egypt, Omar Suleiman, who has spoken out against Egypt becoming a religious state, or the Sheikh uh, Omar Suleiman, who is an instructor with Al Maghrib Institute. There is no prominent no man mufti, so that reference is currently unknown. American-born al-Qaeda cleric Anwar al-Awlaki was discovered in Yemen in 2011, was, one of the, was the first American citizen to be targeted and killed by a drone strike by the United States government without due process since the Civil War. The killing, not the droning. Several terrorist attacks have been carried out in his name within Western countries even after his death. Now, Anwar al-Awlaki said... With the American invasion of Iraq and continued U.S. aggression against Muslims, I could not reconcile between living in the U.S. and being a Muslim. And I eventually came to the conclusion that jihad against America is binding upon myself, just as it is binding on every other Muslim. To the Muslims in America, I have this to say. How can your conscience allow you to live in peaceful coexistence with a nation that is responsible for the tyranny and crimes committed against your own brother and sisters? How can you have your loyalty to a government that is leading the war against Islam and Muslims? You need to watch this guy's uh, videos. Here, look, it's a complicated situation. But um, this is from Global Research. A March report by Physicians for Social Responsibility calculates the body count of the Iraq war at around 1.3 million and possibly as many as 2 million. However, the numbers of those killed in Middle Eastern wars could be much higher. The actual death toll could reach as high as 4 million, if one includes not just those killed in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, but also the victims of the sanctions against Iraq, which left about 1.7 million more dead, half of them children, according to figures from the United Nations. Invade everyone. Invite everyone. Pick one, because if you pick both... This kind of stuff is going to be inevitable. Now, the Orlando shooter was also influenced by, uh, also influenced by Anwar al-Awlaki. Uh, so when they say, well, it's senseless, we don't know his motive, and so on, that's a cover-up. That's a cover-up of the brutality of U.S. and NATO foreign policy in the Middle East. In the Middle East, if these numbers are correct, four million largely Muslims killed by Western governments. Come on in, hundreds of thousands of military-age men. What could go wrong? President of the Somali Community Association of Ohio, Hassan Omar, said, Every Somali person has been calling me and everybody is crying. This is a shock. As a Somali community here, we are in a state of shock. In Columbus, we live in a very peaceful community. This is going to affect the life of everybody. You can have a look at crime rates in the Somali community. You can do that research yourself. He said, we are American and we don't want somebody to create this problem. The timing, he said, is not good. Okay, see, it's the stabbing that's not good, not the timing. He said, the timing is not good. We are black. We are Muslim. We are Somali. We are all the negative stigmas. America is not my enemy. America is my friend. Anybody who sees my different is wrong. My Somali community loves America. We appreciate our country and the opportunity America gives us. We came here for a better life. We came here for an education. We came here to work. We came here to practice our religion. 
Now, the way that America calculates um, employment is kind of weird. Like if you give up looking for work or if you've never looked for work, you're not counted. But even 2011, 2013, um, some of the most recent figures, Somali unemployment is uh, 21% or so, about three times the rate of the general population during the same period of time. So, you know, came here for a better life? Sure. Came here for an education, largely paid for by the taxpayer. Came here to work. Um, well, there's not a lot of working going on in certain areas. So he went on to say, we do not have a spike in crime, but we are human beings. We might have a couple of bad actors like any community does. Crime is everywhere. Criminals are everywhere. Punish the individual, not the entire community. We do not want to get a bad label because of an individual. Now, Hassan, I'm, uh, I'm no public relations expert, but... Um, Next time, you might actually want to express, I don't know, any kind of sympathy for the victims. That can go a long way to helping to build bridges between communities. But saying, well, the only problem is that you're afraid of a backlash. Just try it once more, but with some sympathy for the victims. That would be my particular suggestion, if you feel like taking it. So... Since 1965, America has been largely taking in immigrants from the third world rather than Western European, Christian, white, largely white immigrants. Um, I don't know the last white Western European immigrant who went on a shooting spree. On the other hand, some of the immigrants uh, who come from the third world or from non-Western European countries are somewhat problematic. The Washington Mall shooter, uh, Arkan Seaton, was an immigrant from Turkey who entered the United States at seven years old. New York, New Jersey bombing suspect Ahmed Khan Rahami was a naturalized U.S. citizen born in Afghanistan. In September, nine people were injured at a St. Cloud, Minnesota shopping mall during a stabbing spree by Somali refugee Dahi Dahir Adan. Adan was born in Kenya, was living in the United States for 15 years. The perpetrators of the San Bernardino terrorist attack were Saeed Rizwan Farouk, the child of Pakistan immigrants, and Tashfeen Malik, who was born in Pakistan, but lived most of her life in Saudi Arabia, entering the United States on a K-1 fiancé visa. All, all, all vetted. So, the Boston bombers, Tamerlan and Shokar Tsarnev, were children of a Chechenian asylee, who were too young to be vetted when they were allowed into the United States. See, let me just make this point before I forget. Assimilation into a new country through immigration was a lot easier before the internet. Because you kind of, in order to function in that society, you had to adopt values, you had to adopt the language to some degree and move into that society. Now because of the internet, uh, and, and because of the large volume of refugees, you know, eating a leg of turkey is good, eating nine turkeys is not, right? You need time to digest. So what happens is people come over and they could still get all of the radicalization literature and videos from their home country in their own language and so on. So there's this pipeline of the old country, of the old world, to the new world, to the new society, which um, did not exist uh, in, in the past and, and needs to be recalled when making decisions about these kinds of things. The mastermind of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, that was Destroy World Trade Center 1.0, the Philippine Airlines Flight 434 bombing and a co-conspirator in the Boyinka plot, Ramzi Youssef, was an American asylee. Youssef is also the nephew of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was named as, quote, the principal architect of the 9-11 attacks in the 9-11 Commission report. So, 
we need to start learning some of these lessons. Look, immigration in the 19th century in America was not a government program. Immigration in the 21st century, or 20th, 21st century, uh, since 19th century, it's a giant government program. People are paid to immigrate. People are paid to resettle it. Why are all of these Somalis in Minnesota or other places? Because there are certain groups that get massive amounts of money from the government to resettle these groups. This is not organic immigration. This is a forced integration, taking money from taxpayers and giving it to immigrant groups in order to buy their votes to vote for the left. I mean, to vote... Democrat, as these people tend to do, which is exactly why the Democrats wanted all of these people to come into the countries, because they couldn't make the case after the fall of the Soviet Union for socialism, and so they had to stack the deck by bringing in people to vote for themselves. So immigration that is organic, immigration that is voluntary, well, that is one thing. In the 19th century, a third of people who immigrated to America went back because they didn't like it, they didn't fit in, it didn't work for them. But when you basically give people 10 times the income they could possibly have received in their home country to come and live in America, you don't know who's coming for the values and the freedom or who's coming for the money. This is not a natural and organic process. This is a jamming together, a forced pseudo-integration of people being forced to pay and people who are on the receiving end. So it's different if you just decide to marry someone because you love them. This is an arranged marriage. This is two two groups being forced to live together because of government programs. You cannot have a highly aggressive, destabilizing and violent foreign policy and then just invite all the military-aged men on the planet from the regions that you're undermining and destroying to come and live in your country. Well, you can. Of course, you can do anything you want when you're the government. But um, this is what happens. Because here's the thing. Why, why was the word racism invented? Well, the word, it's not, and it's not like there aren't any racists, but its prevalence has become completely metastasized. It's lunatic. Everyone's a racist, right? So let's say somebody said, I think we should bring a bunch of people from X country into America. And then some people say, I'm kind of nervous about that. Uh, Why? Well, because the government has been uh, bombing and destabilizing and selling weapons to and funding civil wars and so on. So these people view the destruction of their entire society to be largely the response of the American government. And because we live in a democracy, the American government represents the will of the people according to the perceptions of the vast majority of people around the world. You understand? Like with the Soviet Union, when it was a dictatorship... I didn't look at the average Russian and say, wow, they've really got to support communism. They really Because they're in a dictatorship. They don't have a say in how their government runs. But because the U.S. is perceived as a Republican democracy, then the actions of the U.S. government accrue to the people. And so if you go out there and kill four, Muslim, four million people in the Middle East or cause their deaths through sanctions and embargoes and so on, then those people, their friends, their relatives, families in a tribal society where a group attacks group to recompense for wrongdoing – They're going to view the average American as complicit in the crimes of their government. That's the price you pay for a democracy, is that you cannot completely separate yourself from the actions of your government. So if a government goes around blowing up people, those people's relatives are going to come over and view you as complicit in that. The only way you can avoid that is to say, well, the government has nothing to do with the will of the people, in which case, stop pretending it's a democracy. He says, oh, I'm nervous about bringing these particular people in. He says, why? Well, we're doing all these, the government's doing all these terrible things. We're kind of at war with this group or with this, this region or with this country or whatever. So then nobody wants to deal with the 
violence and distractedness of U.S. foreign policy. Certainly, <laughs> well, the left used to until Obama got in and then they were fine with it. Drone murder Tuesdays sounds good to me. <sighs> That's right. Anti-war movement, MIA, since 2008. So, if you have hesitation about bringing groups that the U.S. has done great harm to into America or into the West as a whole, and it's because of foreign policy, because of blowback, well, people don't want to talk about that, so they just call you a racist. Stop saying this stuff is senseless. I mean, the mainstream media is not going to stop saying that because they want to keep importing people who are going to vote for the Democrats in 2020. But um, anybody with half a brain who's not completely whored out and politicized, stop calling it senseless. Listen to what they say. There is unbelievably violent and destructive intervention in the Middle East. We're just talking about the body count here, but it's not just the body count. That's gruesome enough. But the entire destruction... Go look at pictures of Iraq in the 1960s. The women weren't in burqas. Go look at pictures of, of Libya before and after Hillary Clinton helped to depose Muammar Gaddafi. Go look at pictures of Syria. Go look. It's not just the death. It's the entire destruction of the entire society. Listen to what they say. You can't pretend that there's no legitimate complaints coming out from people in the Middle East. There are. Remember how 9-11 made you feel? It's kind of daily in the aggregate of what goes on over there. So listen, watch the videos, understand what's happening. This is not random. Research the region, research the complaints, research the religion, make informed decisions, understand what is going on. Or you are complicit in what's happening. Look, the U.S., since the Second World War, has had a foreign policy that has been estimated to have killed or caused the deaths of tens of millions of people. The view from inside the empire, ooh, very different from the view outside the empire. Inside is all Disney. Outside is all apocalypse. So, this is my particular thought. How about the U.S.? Stop trying to be the mafia-manipulated policeman of the world. Stop selling weapons abroad. Stop propping up dictatorships. Stop funding. Stop goading. Stop interfering. Stop overturning legitimately elected governments and so on. Just stop. Stop doing it. Bring, bring the troops. Bring the boys back home, as the song goes. 700 and X-plus military bases around the world. Really? you got peaceful neighbors, America, to the north and south. you got giant oceans to the east and west. If there ever was a country that could stay home and let the world sort its own messes out, it would be you. So stay home. Now, immigration right now is going to invite just this kind of blowback. So I think at least a generation needs to settle where America stops destroying governments and people and institutions and societies overseas. Then maybe start to think about immigration again. But right now, blowback is real, but it can be prevented. It's a win-win. The giant pressure, the, I mean, rage, you, you sit in America and, and you look at these videos and, and Americans don't see them because the mainstream media is not 
really discussing this much and it's certainly not showing these videos or whatever, right? So the main, mainstream American society doesn't see this stuff. But the people who are so radicalized, radicalized with facts, four million people dead. It's a fact. You say it's too high. Let's say it's only two million. <sighs> Let's say it's only two million. This is going to be our moral defense. This violence that has been erupting in the West, these terrorist attacks. There's an old argument that comes out of C.S. Lewis' book called The Screwtape Letters, and the argument is this. If the devil tempts you with something bad, turn it into something good. Like if the devil tempts you with lust, become more chaste. If the devil uh, tempts you with greed, become more restrained in your appetites. Use the temptations of the devil to produce greater virtue. There's nothing that enrages the devil more. So what could happen? We could learn from these attacks and we could end America's and NATO's endless interventions in these countries. That would be to take this violence and use it to reduce violence. And we could use it to escalate violence and attack and you know, yell and bomb and drone. and that, Well, that's going to continue unless it's stopped. But they're not senseless attacks. We can learn from them. We can reduce foreign intervention, stop selling arms abroad, stop Foreign aid. Foreign aid is all military in nature when you put it towards dictatorship countries. Because whatever you give them in foreign aid liberates money for them to buy more weapons and repress more people and hire more thugs, train more child soldiers. All foreign aid is military in nature because it frees up resources for military spending and repression. Stop. Stop. Let let charities do it. Let private charities do it. We have to learn these lessons. There, there are things to be instructed, and, and it's terrible. It's terrible that machetes need to be dipped in the blood of the young and the message is scraped on the wall for everyone or anyone with half a brain to read. But we can learn from these things. We can reduce the amount of violence in the world and take down the pressure cooker that is building up between East and West. Because I'm telling you, it's just going to escalate. It's just going to escalate. The world writes its lessons in blood, and we either read these lessons, learn and change, or the amount of blood will simply escalate. And now, with the weapons that we have, we really only have one choice. We either learn these escalating and bloody lessons, or eventually, there won't be anyone left to learn. <laughs>